Addison. Hey, Alex. Do you like podcasts? I do like podcasts. How did you know? I had a hunch. Do you also like potentially going to a university? I mean, not only do I like going to a university, I do it every day almost. Wow, this is lining up to be pretty darn coincidental. Let me ask you one more question. Sure, Alex. You sure have you... a lot of those. <laughs> uh, well, I came prepared. How do you feel about things that border on the line between terrifying and comedic? I, I like them a lot. Well, I don't mean to get too specific, but I think I have something that sounds directly up your alley. Wow, tell me more, Alex. Are you by any chance familiar with a podcast called The Alexandria Archives? <gasps> you don't mean The Alexandria Archives that can be found on Twitter at WHAU Signal. The very same. <gasps> they can also be found online at thealexandriaarchives.com. Wow. I know. The Alexandria Archives is a cool podcast that details life at Alexandria University, the South's answer to Miskatonic University. Is it strange, wonderful, and often hilarious? I would consider it to be all of those things, yes. Wow, what a find. <laughs> it really is. But you know what? You don't have to work very hard to find it now because we're telling you about it. <laughs> you can find it at www.alexandriaarchives.com and also on iTunes and wherever you download podcasts. We recommend you give it a shot. You just might like what you find. Yay, yeah, yeah, Wendigos! At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Remember, boys and ghouls, a safe Halloween is a happy Halloween, so... Make sure to stay in groups, and stay out of the cemetery. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Cryptid Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And we are two parts of a whole, the whole being the podcast I just introduced to you. So welcome. If this is your first time, I hope that wasn't weird for you. If this is not your first time, you're probably used to it by now. Yeah, basically. If this is your first time, welcome. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you know what? And cut. And, and scene. Right there. Thank you for listening. We End of the show. appreciate your patronage. You can find us on social media at... Okay. So uh, you're the keeper. I am. I am the keeper of this week's cryptid. And I apologize because I tipped my hat to you a little bit earlier. You kind of saw my hand there. And uh, I'm worried that it gave you some advanced knowledge that will color your preconceptions of this episode. Um, I was thinking, you know, it's close to Halloween time. I think this is actually the last episode we will release before Halloween. So I wanted to keep it... It is, yeah. Kind of spooky, kind of traditional. But with enough of a twist yeah. that we could go somewhere interesting with it. You didn't um, tip your hand so much as just said, I almost did this thing, but then I didn't. What? To me, earlier, you said, I almost did this cryptid, and then I didn't. No, I straight up told you what we're doing. You did? Yeah. Uh, when? We're doing ghouls today. <gasps> you said I almost did ghouls. No, no, no. I said I knew that because I was researching them. Okay, you know what? I, I did not. We were taking a cryptozoology <laughs> quiz to see if we could pass it, to see if we're real cryptozoologists, and there was a question that came up about the origin of the word ghoul and where it comes from. And you read out the options to me and I said, oh, I know this one because I was literally researching it this morning. I just could have, I think I just projected a meaning onto that. That was that was what you just had looked at and decided <laughs> not to do. Oh, no, no, we're okay, doing it. Well, then I'm psyched. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's going to be fun. <laughs> 
but you know a little bit about it already. So we're doing ghouls to clear the air. Um, and in case anyone out there is still wondering whether or not this episode is going to be about ghouls, it is. This episode here that you're listening to at this current moment is a ghoul episode. We're just two ghouls having fun. You're either a boy or a ghoul. There actually is a great podcast. I'll drop a little uh, recommendation um, co-hosted by uh, Kat Wells, who writes on The Horror Honeys with mm-hmm. me uh, occasionally. And she has a podcast called Boys and Ghouls. That's a horror That's film cute. podcast. That's cute. Yeah, it's very good. But anyway. Um, okay, so like I said, this will go a little bit differently than I'd kind of hoped. But we'll just, just give me your honest answers. So when you think of ghouls... What are you thinking of? What are some attributes or some traits or like some locations that you are that you have in mind? Well, they hang out in cemeteries or mm-hmm. uh, around dead bodies. Um, yes, they, depending on what I've read, uh, eat bodies, dead bodies, eat dead mm-hmm. people. Um, I kind of think, and see, I think this is my own perception. This is definitely not what they're supposed to look like. But as a child, and even now, I kind of imagine them looking like uh, like a bat head on a human body. A little bit. Interesting. Like a bat person. Not quite a bat head, but like um, if anyone at home has seen, you have not seen this, if anyone at home has seen the movie Holidays, the Easter segment, there's like this really, really messed up like, it's the it's a rabbit, but it, it doesn't have fur. It's just like all skin. It's just a skin, a flesh rabbit. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> it's like that, but with a bat. That's what I imagine a ghoul looking like. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. So that's um, a lot more on the money than what I would have assumed before I did my research. I, for some reason, and I I'm hoping this is a common occurrence and I'm not just an idiot, um, but I had associated them much more closely with ghosts. And I think part of it is because, mm. like, in the Harry Potter universe, um, there's state, like, ghouls are sort of referenced as more of a ghostly thing. And I don't know Ooh. if that's more regional or, like, when people are talking about, like, ghosts and ghouls out around say, Halloween. Like, yeah. I think people tend to pair them together. And so you just kind of assume they go hand in hand for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's sort of what I had gotten. I'll tell you the only reason I know as much as I know about ghouls right now, it's because I had those books as a kid, and I still don't remember what they're called. I need to look them up. But there were these books. There was one on sharks, one on aliens, one on ghosts, and one on vampires. And they looked like a magazine, but they were a a paperback uh-huh. bound book and it looked like a magazine and it had like a, an image on the front and it said like vampires and like intense font or ghosts in intense font and I had the vampire one and there was a whole section about ghouls because they're not vampires but they kind of live in a similar yeah, world yeah they do they definitely exist in they run in the same circles <laughs> is what I'll say about it's that. like they go to all the same parties yeah they have a lot of mutual friends yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so, very good. The other thing I think that makes ghouls confusing is that the terminology itself is kind of nonspecific. It's another case similar to trolls where the word comes from a very specific place of linguistic origin. And as it has filtered out to other places, the meaning has been sort of bastardized a bit. Mm-hmm. And additionally, it's kind of been used as an umbrella term. And interestingly enough, we'll get into some stuff about ghouls and pop culture and how that's influenced their perception and how that feeds back into the folklore surrounding them. But initially, where ghoul, the concept and the word comes from, is the Middle East. Yeah, it's Arabic, right? So I think this is the first Arabic cryptid we've done. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think this is the first cryptid with uh, roots in the Middle East that we've covered. Cool. So I was right on that. Yeah, I would love to do an episode on jinn sometime, but... So, yeah, well, thank you for mentioning that, because actually a ghoul is a type of jinn. Oh, and to clarify, we are talking D-J-I-N-N, not the liquor. Correct. That tastes like pine needles. Correct. Um, So just to give you an overview, a ghoul is a monster or evil spirit, which is already pretty vague, in Arabic mythology associated with graveyards and consuming human flesh. The term... Nailed it. Yeah, the term didn't come into English literature until 1786. 
in William Beckford's Orientalist novel, Vathek, which describes the ghoul of Arabic folklore. In modern fiction, the term has often been used for a certain kind of undead monster. By extension, the word ghoul is also used in a derogatory sense to refer to a person who delights in the macabre or whose profession is linked directly to death, such as a grave digger or grave robber. Oh, um, I like that. Yeah, it is originally from the Arabic word ghoul, spelled G-H-U-L, which is from the word gala, which means to seize. The word is etymologically related to the word gala, the name of a class of underworld demons from Sumerian and Akkadian mythology. Okay. Yeah. In ancient Arabian folklore, the ghoul dwells in burial grounds and other uninhabited places. It's a fiendish type of jinn believed to be sired by Iblis. Okay. A ghoul is also a desert-dwelling, shape-shifting demon that can assume the guise of an animal, specifically or especially a hyena. Yes. <laughs> right? Pretty cool. It lures unwary people into the desert wastes or abandoned places to slay and devour them. Mm. The- Yes. Sorry, there's a there's uh, there's hyena lore that I'm obsessed with. There's um uh, actually in parts of Africa there's uh, lore surrounding either hyenas or something that looks like hyenas uh, following people groups of people to learn their names and then when they're uh, alone at night by the campfire calling their name from out in, in the in the desert. So oh, they'll wander yeah, out. We've talked a little bit about yes. that. Yes, and I'm just it's connecting for me a little bit. The idea of a, a hyena, a ghoul as a hyena, luring people is is reminding me of that. Right. Well, hang on because it's going to get a little more interesting. I'm so excited. Um. <laughs> It lures unwary people into the desert wastes or abandoned places to slay and devour them. The creature also preys on young children specifically, drinks blood, steals coins, and eats the dead, then taking the form of the person most recently eaten. Okay, one amazing and two coins. Yes. What does it need the money for? Its food is dead people. Well, when they're like, you know, hyenas, they're like animals. They want the shiny things. Oh. They're nice. They're you shiny. A, you made it cute. I made a cute little ghoul. I think that probably it's instead so they can get by in human society pretending to be the person they just no, ate. Yeah, I think because they like little shinies. <laughs> they're like a... They just love them. They're like magpies. They're just real cute. <laughs> a ghoul is like a magpie. Okay. The In the Arabic language, the female form is given as gula and the plural is gilan. In colloquial Arabic, the term is sometimes used to describe a greedy or gluttonous individual because of their appetites and their consumptive nature. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it was not until Antoine Galland translated the Arabian Nights or the 1001 Nights or the Tale of Scheherazade, whatever name you've heard it under, into French, the Western idea of ghoul was introduced. So we didn't really even have a concept of them in Western society until literature brought them over specifically from... Arabic literature. Um, mm-hmm. Galand depicted the ghoul as a monstrous creature that dwelled in cemeteries feasting upon corpses. And again, that was sort of a translation thing, too. So that's not necessarily the initial iteration of the ghoul, but that is its first appearance in Western society was in that way. Okay. This definition of the ghoul has persisted until modern times, with ghouls appearing in literature, manga, and anime. Like I was going to ask you about ghoul. Tokyo yes. Ghoul. Television and film, as well as video games. What video games? I'm sure. Oh, sorry, of them. sorry. There's no, totally you're totally so fine. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I was, I was straight up later in this episode. I was going to get a. If you hadn't, I'm sure it would have come up in your research. But I was already with a gotcha question. Like, are you familiar? Yeah, with I'm totally with Tokyo Ghoul. I've never watched it, but I, I have some friends who have. It's dark. That's what I understand. It's on like multiple. I'm gonna. I've researched the lore, yeah. partially for this episode, but partially because, again, I have a lot of friends yeah. who like it. And I'm going to tip my hat for a second and admit that I watch a lot of uh, top 10 videos on YouTube when I cool. can't sleep. And I've watched multiple Watch Mojo top ch- top 10s about, like, the most disturbing scenes in anime. And almost every time in, like, the top five is Tokyo Ghoul with something. So Interesting. It's an intense show. It's, I've never I watched it. It's pretty brutal, yeah. I've never watched it, and I've watched a lot of... 
heavy heavy stuff. I've watched uh, when they cry, when they cry. I've watched a lot of anyway. Mm-hmm. This is not an anime podcast. No, and I'm not going to let it become one. No, oh my <laughs> gosh, please no. And I'm so sorry that you all now know what a big old nerd I am. But here I we mean, are. there's nothing wrong with liking things that you like. Like, okay, here I'm just gonna go on a short tangent. I don't personally watch anime, but that's just because I I don't really watch much television at all. Period. I like will go forever without watching something, and then use what little time I can convince myself to study a specific kind of screenwriting and like watch a, a genre that I'm interested in. But me not watching anime has nothing to do with the fact that like a lot of people have this preconceived notion of anime and I don't understand why that exists because it's literally just like a style and origin of animated television. Like oh, to yeah. say to branch it all together makes literally no sense. Oh no, totally. It would be like saying I don't watch western movies. Like what does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. They're oh, no, so totally. like so anyway, just, I just mean so much of the American fan base of a lot of anime is so very terrible in so many ways as I experienced yeah. back when I used to go to convention that I I try to distance myself sometimes. Anyway, tell me more about ghouls, please. Anyway, so more about ghouls. Um, as I said earlier, they were said to be the offspring of Iblis, who is the prince of darkness in, um, from what I understand, and I don't mean to make any broad statements that I don't personally get, but this is from Britannica, so I think it's okay. Um, the prince of darkness in Islam, or okay. the Islamic sort of body of literature. Okay. They were capable of constantly changing their form, but this source says that their presence was always recognizable by an unalterable sign, which was Asses hooves. So they have the hooves of a donkey? They have the hooves of a donkey. This is reminding me of uh, the Kelpie. A bit, yeah. Yeah, it does have a similar sort of nature to it, um, especially with the carnivorousness. The distinction, again, is that ghouls have a very close relationship with the death and already deceased. Oh, no, totally. Um, whereas Kelpies do not. Like, although preying on children is very similar, and the idea of altering their form to appear more... I guess palatable. Although the ghoul doesn't do like deal as much in the art of seduction as the Kelpie. Oh no, does. absolutely. I was mostly mostly just thinking about the fact that even in a human form, they maintain the hooves yeah. of a horse for a Kelpie. So that's that's mostly where I was. Interestingly enough, in ancient lore, um, they were considered female. The ghoul was considered mm. to be like a feminine entity. But isn't there a feminized version of the word? There is, yeah. And again, a lot of this comes from our, like, lack of context and understanding for the etymological origins of these things. Okay. A lot of times, you know, we'll be like, well, what's the word for this? It's like, well, there isn't a word for that. That's not how translation works. Yeah. Um, a lot of times these terms are embodying concepts. And so right, the concept, like, ghoul itself as a word originally and the way that it comes from means like a, a concept or a type of thing and that name and that concept became associated with the creature. Yeah. And so the feminine form of that word specifically referred to an individual creature. But like the word itself came down with mm. our understanding okay. of it. Okay. Um, the ghoul was often confused with the Sila, which was also female. However, the Sila was a witch-like species of jinn. Yeah. Immutable in shape. So they were not shapeshifters. They were these witch-like creatures that were also jinn that had similar powers and nuances to them but were not shapeshifters. The ghoul, in its origin story, can change its shape and frequently yeah. does. A ghoul stalked the desert, often in the guise of an attractive woman, trying to distract travelers and, when successful, killed and ate them. The sole defense that one had against a ghoul was to strike it dead in one blow. A second blow would only bring it back to life again. What? Mm-hmm. So if you hit it a second time after you've killed it, it comes back to life. Yep. The turning ghoul- it off and on again. <laughs> Have you tried turning your ghoul off and back on again? To the best of my understanding, and from what I've come across, which is so fascinating to me, the ghoul's sort of predominant, I guess, defining characteristic is that it rides this line between life and death. 
and it sort of defies all of our expectations of what the permanence and finality of death means, Mm -hmm. which I think is why it's so creepy to us and why it's so persistent in the modern imagination because it's fascinating, right? And especially nowadays, we have, like, a huge fascination with this with, like, The Walking Dead or just, like, zombie culture in general and, like, movies that sort of ride that line of, like, oh, did they die? Did they not? Like, this this idea that death isn't final is fascinating to us because we are terrified of the finality of death. And so I think a creature that just, like, not only walks that line but skips back and forth over it as often as they want, like, freaks us out a little bit like, because we're envious yeah. but also terrified. It's playing straight-up double dutch with the yeah, line, literally life is. and death. Um, so I think that's probably, like, what that is embodying is this idea that, like, is it what, – what is it? Like, how does death affect this thing? Because it clearly doesn't affect it in the same way it affects us. Absolutely. Um, the ghoul as a vivid figure in the Bedouin imagination appeared in pre-Islamic Arabic poetry, notably that of Ta'abata Sharan. In North Africa, it was easily assimilated into an ancient Berber folklore already rich in demons and fantastic creatures. Modern Arabs use ghoul to designate a human, that's G-H-U-L, to designate a human or demonic cannibal and frequently employ the word to frighten disobedient children. Sort of like the boogeyman. I was just going to say. You know, like, oh, the ghoul is going to get you or a ghoul is going to get you. It's the same thing as the boogeyman or Baba Yaga. It's all yeah. across cultures. It's anglicized as G-H-O-U-L. Uh, And in that way, the word entered English tradition and was further identified as a grave-robbing creature that feeds on dead bodies and on children. In the West, ghouls have no specific image, which is part of why we have trouble pinning them down as a specific thing. Yeah. And have been described, by Edgar Allan Poe at least, as neither man nor woman, neither brute nor human. They are thought to assume disguises to ride on dogs and hares, meaning rabbits. (laughs) Yes. And to set fires at night to lure travelers away from the main roads. Fire! Sorry, I'm yelling every time something links me back to that hyena, uh, hyena mythology. Cool, cool. Um, I just got excited. But um, I'm sorry, how small, how little do they get? How little do they get? They're they, riding on rabbits. They don't have a definitive size. No, I'm just saying that, I'm saying they have to, they're making yeah, themselves. Yeah, they can be pretty small, I they're guess. Making or themselves, the rabbits can be pretty big. Okay, rabbits don't get that big. I mean, you literally just watch that Easter thing with that horrible flesh rabbit. Oh, gosh. Imagine a ghoul riding one of those babies. I don't know how to explain this to you, but it was like it was a Jesus rabbit zombie. I don't want that explained to me any further. Thank you. I hate it. (laughs) I hated it, too. It's very bad. Um, But I just mean when you say hairs, I'm assuming it's just classic wild rabbits. Also dogs. You have to be pretty small to ride on the back of a dog. Depending on the size of the dog. Even a Great Dane, you have to be fairly little to ride on. Have you seen Great Danes? I've seen Great Danes, but I don't want to hurt the dog. You're not going to hurt a Great Dane. I mean, like, not unless you're trying to hurt the Great Dane, in which case, stop listening to our podcast. I want nothing to do with you. Yeah, you're, you're not uh, Goodbye. worthy of our content. Have you seen that? Um, have you seen that? It's, I think it's even just a Facebook page that's just pretending to ride a dog but not hurting it, just pretending. Oh, man, that sounds really good. <laughs> it's very wholesome. Very good. Uh, Okay, so furthermore, in Sumerian and Akkadian, which is Babylonian and Assyrian mythology, the— Amazing. And in this sort of mythology, it's called the Gallus, um, were great demons and devils that roamed the streets hiding in dark corners or deserted places. According to Morris Jastra's Religion of Babylonia and Assyria, the Gallu lurked in remote or hidden places like graves, mountaintops, and in the shadows of ruins. They would go out at night, enter homes through holes and crevices, and torture their victims. Yikes. The Igula were said to be so frighteningly hideous that they were associated with nightmares. They were also known to drink the blood and devour the flesh and bones of their victims. Mm-hmm. There's that yep. vampire link. Yeah, there it is. And there are a lot of links between the concept of the ghoul and modern-day both vampires and zombies. 
Right. They're sort of... Very good. Yeah. They, and I, I can't be sure, but a lot of those concepts are more westernized in our mind, our ideas, and I believe that the ghoul predates them. I think that the ghoul is probably what influenced these concepts and these ideas well, of these other creatures, specifically yeah. the vampire, because the yeah. vampire is a very, like, high European oh, creature, Bram right? Stoker. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it, it definitely predates the European or American notion of zombie. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the notion of zombie in voodoo uh, goes back a lot further. Yeah, but um, not as further as I think like pre-Islamic. Okay, no, no, I'm not saying That's that. I just old. mean I just mean that it's it's older than and very different from the way we talk about right. it. And I just wanted to give full respect to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um but I'm yeah, I'm saying that here we have like a Babylonian cryptic. Oh no, this is this is which yeah, you is, were talking about Sumerian. Yeah. Like old AF. Yeah, you were talking about Sumerian mythology. That takes us way back. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. So far, though, the ghoul's ability to take on animal forms, as we've talked about, remains unverified. Um, so it's shape- unlike everything else about unlike it, everything that else is about it, which is verified. Yeah. We'll, we will get to some sightings, provided my phone doesn't die. Oh, do you need a charger? Don't worry about it. Okay, <laughs> I have a charger. Okay. Ghouls have the ability to take on the abilities and appearance of any person whose body they've eaten. Some ancient stories claim that they can turn into jackals, hyenas, or other animals, but again, that is unverified. They also tend to be slightly stronger than humans in whatever their natural form is, which is hard to say. Uh. Their ghouls must eat human flesh on a regular basis in order to survive. A ghoul who denies his hunger for flesh for too long will begin to suffer the physical effects of starvation, even if he eats other food, and will suffer mental deterioration. As the condition grows worse, the ghoul loses all semblance of humanity. From what I understand, that's something they play a lot with in the Tokyo Ghoul series. Yes, it is. Um, It's very much that idea of, like, them needing to persist in their ghoulish ways for their own survival. Yeah. Um, and that the only way for them to actually cling to some semblance of humanity is to keep indulging in the monstrous thing they're doing, which is like a weird concept that's kind of mind-melding. Well, I do want to actually, particularly that is, it's, I, if you're talking about the modern conception of zombies, I need to talk about a show that both I and the writer of our theme song, Andrew Giada, love, which is iZombie, which is that exact concept. You guys do concept. love the, the, car- the zombies in the universe of iZombie maintain their humanity humanity by eating brains like mm-hmm. if they don't they eventually deteriorate into a george romero style decaying monster zombie but otherwise if they if they feed regularly they look just like pale like pale kind of gaunt versions of any other anyone else they just look kind of goth right which is interesting because like then part of this weird sort of seemingly counterintuitive self-preservation is that you have to keep doing the monster thing to avoid becoming an uncontrollably monstrous version exactly of yourself and it also i think i think the reason i and when we talk about this a lot on here but i think the reason ghouls and this version of zombie is really interesting to people is because we pride ourselves so heavily in in having made ourselves the top of the food chain so to speak like we've we've kind of subverted the natural order and we've used technology where we don't have physical strength or other attributes that make us quote-unquote superior to be the apex predator so Mm -hmm. to speak and the idea that there's something that rely that that we are its primary food source is is very disturbing and very interesting. Yeah, it is wild. I think the other thing that's fascinating about it, and this is a much more modern take on the ghoul mythology. So just to be clear, up until this point, we have not talked about a type of ghoul that turns other people into ghouls, <laughs> which is kind of a common component of like vampire and modern zombie mythos, right? It's like the idea yeah. that it's it, it's, you know, spread somehow. Um, but I want to be clear that I have not said anything about that so far. So in case your brain like automatically inserted it in there, 
um, get that notion from your mind. The okay. primary fear of a ghoul attack is that you will be devoured by a ghoul. Okay. You're not worrying about being turned into a ghoul. Um, although it is interesting, as we start to move further along the developmental line into this idea of fear of becoming something which is not inherently human mm-hmm. and having your ability to cling to your last remaining shreds of humanity dependent upon doing something so utterly inhuman. Like, it's this weird morality crisis, right? It's like oh, the, yeah. this horrible train scenario where you have to decide, like, do I keep on systematically targeting people that I, in my rational human mind, deem to be acceptable targets? Or do I take the, like, or do I abstain from this activity in my knowing mind, um, waiting until I get to a point where I know I will just do it automatically and undiscerningly. Like, that's a weird paradox to be stuck yeah. in, isn't it? It's 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 a very That'll mess you up. Yeah, it's a very frightening situation to find yourself in, and I think that thought experiment is what keeps people coming back to this kind of idea. Because it explores a lot of interesting ethical dilemmas. Like, and it's, it's weird to say that, you know, zombies and ghouls have, like, a weird ethical compass to them, but it's fascinating. It's a weird situation in which to find yourself, and I don't oh, know... Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say, like, well, listeners, you have to choose one. But it's interesting to me to think, like, what would you do in a situation like that? I don't know. Which one of those is the greater good? Like, is it more morally right to say, I will not in my own sound mind and body do this thing that I know to be wrong, even when you know that not doing it in sound mind will lead you to do the thing in unsound mind? Or do you say, I will actively do a thing right now that goes against every fiber of the being I still possess in the knowledge that it will prevent me from unthinkingly doing it later? Like, that's yeah. weird, right? Well, you know what I think? Which one of those is the moral high ground? I don't know. I don't know, but I think that what you do is you uh, finish medical school and you get a job in the uh, morgue of a police station and you eat the brains of murder victims and solve their deaths. Wow, that's a weirdly specific solution to that problem. Thank you for that. Yes, it's also the plot of critically acclaimed television show, iZombie. I was so mad when you told me that Rob Zombie is not the same Rob Zombie that I wanted it to be. It's Rob Thomas. It's not even Rob Zombie. Oh, I thought it, you know what, never mind. It's Rob Thomas and not the one from uh, not the one from Matchbox 20. See, it was just like this whole weird thing that we were having where it was like this conversation. To be fair, there was also wine involved. So, like, I'm not really sure. It's fine. Don't worry about it. it was um, the, oh, yeah. But that was at the library. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to go ahead and say, uh, do you think we've explored, uh, I think why a like, teen-focused media has explored, I think sexy vampires are played out. I think sexy werewolves had a moment and kind of fizzled out as well. I think actually sexy zombies had a moment. If anyone saw the movie Warm Bodies, sexy, sexy zombies had a moment. Uh, I don't love that. It's actually, a, I, it's actually a movie I really enjoy, but it's 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 a weird choice. So, do you think uh, do you think sexy ghouls are going to have a moment in YA YA pulp fiction? Um, if I had any say in it, no, <laughs> never. But I think that maybe I maybe we need to get ahead of the curve. I was going to say sexy ghosts have had a moment too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, they already had like their moment, like with the whole pottery thing, right? I mean, yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying sexy pottery ghosts. classes everywhere, sexy ghost time. Whoopi Goldberg's um, there. Yeah, no, they've had a moment. I'm just saying we might want to get on top of this and write a YA book where the uh, protagonist's love interest is a brooding. It's a brooding. Um, by pale. day, he's an ethics yeah. professor, and by night, he's a hyena. <laughs> He's an ethics professor, so he's so tormented by the... Yeah. He's so brooding. Because you can't be sexy without being tormented. Of course not. That's what what millennials find sexy, because we ourselves are always in the throes of existential angst. We cannot imagine ourselves with an unrealistic literary partner who does not suffer the same horrible, crippling self-criticism. Oh my gosh. I was trying to think of a Twilight quote I could could appropriate and make about ghouls. Um, Give me a hot second. I read all the books when I was in middle school. There's that quote about the lion falling in love with the lamb. I'm always here the for hyena that. falling in love with the normal human ethics student. Then it's weird too, right? Because then we're using the 
<laughs> then we're using the taboo of the ghoul human relationship as a parable for the taboo of the teacher student relationship. Alex, this is brilliant. <laughs> it's not great. It's great. It's amazing. <laughs> There's a franchise in here. There absolutely is. Um, I think Tokyo Ghoul may or may not have something with sexy ghouls. I've never watched it. I cannot attest to this. Oh, I'm sure they do. You cannot have an, an, an anime without sexy, tormented characters, right? Like, that's the rule I mean, of anime? That's the one unifying factor? I'm pretty sure, factor. like, Sailor Moon... I, uh, nope, I'm a liar. Mm, that you are a liar. <laughs> Tuxedo mask. Um, yep. Pokemon. No, we're not going... I'm done. No, there's some... Yeah. Brooding and sexy. Yes. Both. Yes. Are you talking about James? <laughs> oh, I was talking about <laughs> Professor Oak. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the best things we've ever said on this show. <laughs> I think that actually just revealed a lot. Professor Oak both brooding and sexy. <laughs> I think that just revealed a lot about both of our characters, that the person I went to was James and the person you went to was Professor Oak. Yeah. Um, it's okay. Everything's fine. Um, neither of them will ever be available to us because I don't think James is into women and I don't think Professor Oak is into anybody that's not Ash's mother. Alex, they're also cartoons. Yeah, and... <laughs> Anyway, um, I just wanted to—I just wanted to make some silly jokes about uh, ghouls being the next sexy uh, YA monster, and instead we went some weird places. It's fine. In that forty-five seconds. Okay, we always do that though. You're right. If people want uh, a show about cryptids without tangents, I can't think of one actually because all the ones I listen to have tangents. Uh, so right. good luck. Let's talk about uh, some anyway. alternate origin stories for ghouls, and then we'll get into some, some uh, ghoul statistics. You want some ghoul science? I would love some ghoul science. There are several theories regarding the origin of ghouls. The three most common are that ghouls are a type of demon, the result okay. of demon and human crossbreeding, Ooh. or normal humans who suffer from an ancestral curse. Oh. <laughs> Which I think is where you start to get more into like the voodoo and Haitian like zombie lore. I could be wrong. The fact that ghouls are genetically indistinguishable from humans seems to suggest the latter, which, I'm sorry, I didn't realize we had, like, genetic studies done on ghouls, but here we are. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, if we have any kind of evidence about their genes or their DNA, you'd think we'd have a little bit... I feel like that would have made the news. Twilight did that too, right? They were like, oh, vampires and humans can't have children because chromosome counts. Yeah, but then they did anyway. that's a BS thing. But then they did anyway. Yeah. So it was Here's the thing about... Here's my number one complaint about Twilight. It's not that it's, uh, it's not that it's, like, a... A Mormon morality tale wrapped up in sexy vampires. It's not the fact that Bella Swan is a blank slate upon which all teenage girls can project their own insecurities. It's the fact that the science, the rules of the universe are firmly established and then Stephanie Meyer just, 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 just throws them in the trash. Yeah, it just doesn't follow its own rules and that's kind of a bummer. She, she just throws them all in the trash. It's also the fact that, and I'm sorry, this is the episode where Addison and Alex like reveal very strange things that like give you a lot more insight into our, our weird personal lives. Um, I'm forever angry that like the one good, super, super good story in Twilight was never given to us, which is the story of Alice and Jasper. Oh, yeah. Like, no, they're the characters. Where is that? Well, they're also the characters with the most interesting backstories. Yeah, no, absolutely. We don't know any. They're the characters with the most interesting backstories, and also just I, I'm still I have no patience for any kind of media that establishes the rules of its universe. You can make whatever wild universe you want, but when you give me the rules, you have to follow them. Yep, totally agreed. You have to follow the rules you give me. You can't tell me vampire and human crossbreeding is impossible, and also vampires don't have bodily fluids. Yeah. Anyway, and then, do you want more? Yeah, assum- do you want more assumptive science about ghouls? Please, <laughs> I love it. The fact that ghouls are genetically indistinguishable from humans seem to suggest the latter, which is the ancestral curse idea. Okay. But the existence of you know, shape- scientific curses. But the existence of shapeshifters who can mimic humans down to the cellular level means that it's impossible to rule out a demonic origin. This is from your fave, the Cryptids Wiki. Oh yeah, I love it. Um, so 
this, there's some definite like pseudoscience here. Did, or the government is hiding something that the cryptids wiki somehow has access to and the rest of us don't. I just really want to ask you an important question, which is yeah. did Fox Mulder write this uh, Wikipedia page? Oh, you know, shoot. Let me scroll down. Ah, uh, heck. Yeah, you're right. It's from at Spooky Mulder underscore 13. <laughs> Darn. Spooky Mulder underscore 666. <laughs> um. Anyway, please tell me more very scientific science about shape-shifting. Well, here you go. Because ghouls are able to take on the form of any human whose flesh they have eaten. So, you know, they just kind of have like a library of human cells, I guess. Those who are careful to conceal their eating habits can operate in human society. Even if they are caught, ghouls are often initially mistaken for human cannibals, with their true nature only revealed when they are deprived of human flesh. Some civil rights activists have suggested that allowing an imprisoned ghoul to become a ravening beast due to hunger constitutes cruel and unusual punishment. Oh. However, the small number of cases, mental deterioration of the affected prisoners, and disturbing nature of the alternative have prevented any real legal exploration of the question to date. Okay. So. Yeah, sorry. I actually went into an alternate universe where ghouls are in our prison systems and got you this wiki article. Do you love it? I kind of do. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, I just had a moment. Um. Uh, oh, my gosh. What was his name? Have you read about... Have you read about the, there's a case, it's like one of the most, it's like, it's like a, it's one of those kind of unsolved scientific mystery kind of things. Um, Cause no one, they still don't know what medically was up with this guy, but the, um, there was a, a man, a French man who just ate and ate and ate and ate and ate and was always, and like was consistently hungry. And it was suspected he like stole a baby from a hospital and possibly ate it. Oh my God. They covered it on an episode of, covered him on an episode of Sawbones actually, because they were talking about like this, like it's, it's cause it's kind of a medical mystery. Like what was going on with him? Yeah. I don't know anything um, about that. That's and really weird. it sounds like he was straight, just fully, he was a ghoul. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of does. Yes. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to go into like this weird wiki article that was just sort of assuming that we operated in a ghoul-based oh. universe, which it's, I loved. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure that like literally whoever wrote that was just going on the assumptions of the Tokyo Ghoul universe and like got a little too. Yeah, that I, I was going to say it. you pulled this from the Cryptids wiki, not the Tokyo Ghouls. No, it was okay. literally from the Cryptids wiki. Okay, and no. I just wanted to go with it and see like how far before you started making some real weird faces. I just yeah okay. Uh, the, when you got to the part about civil rights activists fighting for the rights of ghouls, yeah, that's when I got confused. Let's go to and. A source that I did not expect to be more reputable, but that actually is, like, a much better written article than that one that I just pulled from. Um, So when I was Googling stuff about ghouls, I came up with an article from HowStuffWorks.com, which is titled How Ghouls Work, but subtitled How to Become a Ghoul. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, no. The first thing in this article is an image of, like, a gargoyle looking boy. Uh-huh. With the caption, never inquire what a ghoul is grinning about. Their humor is often grim, and the joke will likely be on you. <laughs> I like that. Where do ghouls come from? Rest assured, the answer is grim. Scholars propose four schools of thought on the matter of this creature's unnatural genesis. First, born ghouls. To be sure, both male and female ghouls exist and may even exhibit carnal desires. Oh. But their sexual encounters seem to rarely result in offspring. All right, well, here's my here's here's our YA book. All right, continue. Brian McNaughton writes that such progeny are typically formless things and generally consumed immediately by their mothers. While the author's oh. book of short stories, The Throne of Bones, deals in part with the birth of a rare ghoul-human hybrid, the creature barely survives the envious wrath of its fellow ghouls. Another possibility is creationist ghouls. In the older cycles of myth and folklore, ghouls are just one form of evil spirit in a cosmology already teeming with them. Islamic tradition, for instance, classifies ghouls as yet another form of jinn, again, and supernatural and malevolent beings that rebelled against their creator, Allah. Here's one called 
casual ghouls. Oh. In other versions of the myth, all ghouls are former humans who transformed into their current state due to wickedness or morbidity. In some accounts, the person rises as a ghoul after death. In others, he or she becomes a ghoul after dining on human flesh, a cultural taboo often linked to monstrous transformations. In either case, the transformation is permanent and linked directly to the state of the soul or psyche. That change may occur as a divine punishment for particularly debased people. Which is, like, I'm glad that we got to that one because that's what I sort of feel was missing is we had a lot of, like, mythological explanations, but we didn't really have a lot of, like, folkloric explanations. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a good one um, because that is such a specifically taboo crime in so many ways. And throughout so much of history, the idea of cannibalism as just being, like, the one thing you don't do no matter how many other bad, horrible things you do. Yeah. And so the idea that, like, ghouls would be sort of a divine punishment for anybody, like, committing this act is really interesting. Um, I have two things. One, uh, I'm pretty sure casual ghouls are actually just ghouls who play Mario Kart but call themselves gamers. And two... They're ghouls who, like, tell you how much they love Broadway, but they've only been to Escape to Margaritaville. Exactly. Um, and they and their favorite their favorite uh, cast recording is Phantom of the Opera. But yep. the second thing I was going to say is actually a serious thing and not a not a really bad uh, like useless joke. Um, and it is that the idea of them transforming into the ghoul because of committing the act of cannibalism that t- that takes us into like Wendigo lore. Uh, well, yeah, and not only to do that, but it's not entirely impossible in the historic scope of things. I mean, do you know about prions? Yes, I do. Oh, ooh, are we going to talk about Kuru? Go for it. Oh, Kuru's a prion disease uh, that you get from uh, eating human brains. Similarly, mad cow disease is the same thing but with cows, right? Yeah. So whenever a creature consumes another of its own kind, um, you're at risk a lot of times, and like I don't know if this is a weird coincidence or if it's a divine punishment for cannibalism, but you're at risk for prions, which are... Tiny, tiny, tiny things that can get all up in your system and mess you up real bad. <laughs> That's my very scientific yeah. take on it. Um, I'm not going to try they to explain it further. They make your brain into Swiss cheese. <laughs> yeah, literally. They are, what, they're like protein particles, I think? Yeah. They're a kind of protein um, that, yeah, just will mess you up so bad. will get in your brain tissue and, and just destroy Yeah, I'm you. not being metaphorical when I say it will make your brain into Swiss cheese. It actually, like, yeah. your, your brain will just start having holes in it it's, it's uh, which is what leads to like mad cow disease or just like the you know stuff like florida man where it's like oh, uh, yeah. eating other man's face on bath salts like that's ghoul behavior right that's yeah. weird and it's not entirely impossible to think that throughout the course of history there might have been isolated incidences of people having this weird rare condition or some deviant mm-hmm. being cannibalistic and as a result retaining these strange characteristics, these mm. monstrous attributes, yeah. and it seeming very much to be a punishment befitting the crime. Well, I particularly bring up Kuru because um, it, it straight up it comes from cannibalism. Mm-hmm. And one of the symptoms of Kuru is a change in gait. Uh, this is, I, I okay. read a lot about, I read a lot about, uh, I've read a lot about this because I think it's interesting, which means, like, your walk changes. And and that, along with, like, tremors and a lot of other stuff, it would cause your behavior to become erratic and strange. And particularly a change in gait, depending on the way it changed, might make you seem maybe more creepy or animalistic yeah. or, or, like, off. Um, and there's a lot of uh, just, uh, you know, uh, just some knowing someone ate a person and then seeing the behavioral change could lead to that idea of, mm-hmm. just as more kind of a scientific explanation, this sin was committed and now they're turned into a monster. A lot of times monster lore throughout history comes from weird incidences where a lot of things lined up together and came into play and then through perception or cultural telephone like became the basis for these foundational myths elsewhere. So it's not to say that 
these things never happened or that they were misinterpreted as happening. It's just that maybe they did happen in a way other than what we assume now. Yeah. Sort of like how the uh, the the story of werewolves is linked a lot of the time to um, follicular conditions yeah. that cause like excessive hair growth on the face. Yes, um, but that's amazing. Also, while uh, uh, while we're on the subject of just quote unquote like real life non supernatural ghouls, mm-hmm. uh, I I do want to say uh, in my, get my true crime brain for a second and say that uh, one of the places I most frequently see the word ghoul used and one of the things I see it most frequently applied to is actually the case of Ed Gein who was not a serial killer, but was a grave robber. Mm -hmm. And people, like, in almost anything you read about him, people call him a ghoul because he was a grave robber. And I just, it was an interesting, it was nice to think about. Yeah, that is interesting. That's still popping up as that. What did he know? usage. What did he know? Well, he he knew he wanted to make a a skin suit. It's, anyway. So there's that. Um, Um, Okay, let's get on to to the fourth kind with his pathogenic ghouls. This school of thought spins ghouldom as a supernatural infectious disease, not unlike vampirism or various zombie viruses. Yes! This disease is known as ghoul fever in Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) I've got ghoul fever. And Porfot's distemper in Brian McNaughton's The Throne of Bones. Whatever its human name, the condition debilitates the victim until he or she turns into a ghoul or dies and rises again as one. In most cases, the infection is transmitted through a ghoul's bite, but some legends speak of vaguer origins. In Robert Barber Johnson's creepy short story, Far Below, subway workers beneath New York City began to transform into ghouls, perhaps due to their proximity to unwholesome supernatural forces in the earth. Ooh, that sounds like a great story. If these theories solve the question of where ghouls come from, they also raise the question of their demise. Like other undead and supernatural creatures, ghouls live long, unnatural lives, but are ultimately susceptible to death. Various human weapons prove effective in modern tales, but some Arabic texts stress that only a single blow from a mighty sword will do the trick. If the ghoul traps its would-be slayer into landing a second blow, then he will not die, but will live and destroy us. Sunlight and readings from the Quran are also harmful to ghouls. Okay, so basically we're talking vampire lore again. Yep. With um, the European version of it being Christian imagery and sunlight. We're also getting into, um, like, mummy lore. Oh, you know, you're right. Yeah. Well, all the undead stuff seems to have a lot of crossover. It definitely does. Um, real quick, I, I'm so sorry this episode is like taking a bit longer than I wanted to. Oh, yeah. But uh, oh, there's well, an article. I, I took you on some tangents. I'm it's sorry. okay. No, it's fine. Right. There's an article on Forbes.com, which I really enjoyed, which is Four Real Life Ghouls and Goblins of the Animal Kingdom, um, which was written for Halloween last year. And it's facts on animals both living and extinct with spine chilling names and like cannibalistic or weird <sighs> tendencies. Alex, this is the best Halloween <laughs> present you could have given me. Yeah, it's a cool one. I'm actually so excited right now. I wish y'all could see. I'm, I'm like shaking. I love this. This is my favorite kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff I used to when I was like 15 and I first got a laptop that wasn't in like the family room and I could actually be on late at night without getting caught. I would just stay up reading about like weird animals. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, these are actually more like harmless, but they're, they're animals that like have been perceived to have weird traits throughout history or maybe have been like misinterpreted and that's given rise to like some yeah. strange behavioral things. Um, and we're not going to go into depth on them. I'm just going to tell you that one of them is the vampire squid. Oh, I know the vampire squid. Yeah, vampire squid is cute. It's it is cute actually. The ghost crab is also pretty cute. I used to um at, at a beach I would go to with my family. We used to catch ghost crabs until I got older and kind of felt bad for them whenever they got caught. So we just <laughs> kind of look at them. Uh, there is the zombie snail. The zombie snail. And zombie snails actually are kind of real zombies. Are they like? Let me just read you the blurb from this. Tell me what they are. Like the invertebrate version of The Walking Dead, zombie snails are no longer in control of their brains. A zombie snail, in this case, is one controlled by a parasite in the Lusochloridium genus. Each species of the parasitic flatworms infects a specific species of snail, mainly in the Succinia family. 
the unsuspecting snail is the intermediate host for the parasitic larva that will enter the snail's brain and blah, 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 this blah. This is like that fungus that takes over ants and makes them yeah, fly to a like high that. place. Yep. Um, here's the thing. I am afraid of parasites, <coughs> like really, really, really afraid of parasites. But um, uh, so that's just like I had a physical, if you saw me physically I, coiling I in on myself, it's fine. It's just because I hate The last one is not like super harmful to humans in any way, shape or form, but it's called the devil frog. And it's a 10 pound frog. <laughs> it is a 10 pound carnivorous frog. It's a frog. big boy. It's a large son. It's a, he's a large son. He is a large He's son. a big boy. Um, one more thing to get into quickly before we touch on sightings. And that is actually a TV tropes article that I found. In like <gasps> I love TV tropes. And is it is, our ghouls are different? It's our ghouls are creepier. Yeah. Oh. It's a TV trope that basically tries to explain why ghouls have varied so widely now that we've gotten into Western mm-hmm. like lore and culture. And it's simply because everybody wants to make their ghouls scarier than the last ghoul. Yeah. So much like trolls, ghouls are one of the least consistently portrayed creatures in fiction, partially because the phrase ghoul and ghoulish are poorly defined terms that can really refer to anything or anybody interested in the macabre and morbid, giving writers the ability to name almost any cannibalistic, flesh-eating, or just plain creepy monster after them. Besides being creatures associated with death, cannibalism, and degeneracy, ghouls, as monsters, can come in a plethora of types and subtypes. Some of the more common varieties include zombie ghouls, which are like your flesh-eating undead, either standard zombies just given another name, or its specific kind of zombie derivative. When the two coexist, the ghouls will generally be the more bestial and savage of the two, and more willing to eat rotten flesh. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, garden variety reanimated corpses may count as these. I you know, know garden variety. Uh, vampiric ghouls, either created by vampires as a servant, or just a relative or offshoot of the standard vampire. They vary from, like, immortal, twisted humans to mindless zombie minions to sort of beings more powerful than vampires themselves. Okay. Lovecraftian ghouls. Yeah. Uh, ghouls as a living and non-human species. So, like, a, a distinct race of being. Um, often with distinctive canine muzzle and ears and with a pale or greenish cast. Mutants whole separate yeah. thing, yeah. Mutant ghouls, which would be former humans who've been transformed into a horde of monsters, or a like barely sentient cannibal clan by like a virus or a radiation or some sort of eldritch abomination. Like in the descent. Yeah. Uh, mythic ghouls, which would be similar to mutant ghouls, but transformed by magic or divine punishment rather than like an earthly cause. Okay. Um, and then demonic ghouls, which would be the original ghoul of Arabic lore, um, as a demonic, sort of child-eating, shape-shifting creature that inhabited graveyards. Mm-hmm. But only rarely do ghouls get such a degree of supernatural power in modern fiction. Nowadays, ghouls mostly scare us because they eat us. Um, yeah. <laughs> instead of having, like, the array of supernatural abilities that they used to have in their original right. form. Well, again, it's so rarely <laughs> are we prey in modern society that the yeah, idea right? of something that exists that exists with us as its primary food source is very scary. Uh, I love TV tropes so much. TV tropes is a lot of fun. It's so nice of you to make an episode full of all my favorite things. Yeah, so if you go to the site unexplainablenews.com, kind of fun, right? There are a few different videos of zombie sightings, including this one I found, which is a ghoul in Germany. Mm. Yeah, um, the zombie sighting news doesn't end. Now a third city is reporting an apparent living dead walker strolling around the graveyard in Berlin, Germany. Film students had a permit to film at the old St. Matthew's churchyard as they were shooting video among the gravestones. A pale white intruder was suddenly stalking through the cemetery, frightening the students. This marks the third unexplained report of ghouls in a graveyard. The first occurred in Scotland, and the second was reported at Forest Lawn in Glendale, California. When did this German sighting happen? The German sighting was in, let me check, August 11, 2015. Oh, so this is recent. Yeah, very recent. And here's another recent one. Um, This actually was published in 2016. Oh, wow, okay. An article from The Express, a UK site, has a ghost hunter snapped the clearest photo yet of the infamous black monk ghoul. A ghost hunter claims she has snapped the clearest photo yet of the infamous black monk ghoul. Is this the black monk of Pontefract? Uh, yes. Okay. 
I've read a little bit about this. Yeah. Well, this person thinks she has a picture of it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, tell me more. Paranormal investigator Claire Cowell captured the image, which she believes shows the arm of a ghostly figure in a monk's robe clutching rosary beads. Inside 30 East Drive in Pontefract, West Yorkshire, the house was the site of one of Europe's most notorious and powerful alleged hauntings when the Pritchard family were subjected to years of torment by the so-called Black Monk of Pontef- Pontefract. Yeah. Well. It's hard to say. Mother of four, Ms. Cowell, a researcher for the East Drive Paranormal Group, claims her photo is the most definitive proof she and fellow ghost hunters have ever seen that the Black Monk still haunts the building. And uh, she goes into some details about when she saw it and where. But here, I'm just going to go ahead and show you the picture. Show me the picture. Where is he? It's just a, it's an arm. Oh, it's an arm. I was like, that's a blob. No, it's an arm clutching beads. Okay. Beads. Wow. I was going to say, this seems like an example of someone uh, conflating ghouls and ghosts, though. It does a bit. Yeah. I, I I do want to believe that the that the black monk is actually a zombie monk. I do want to believe that. But that's interesting. Ah, yeah. But it's an interesting. Picture. I've heard a little. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about about that legend too. Where's the other one? It's I've been covered on a couple different shows I've listened to. Um, I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've listened to the full episode. Um, it. as far as ghoul sightings in general, yeah. the cryptids wiki. Not to go back to that source, which has proven itself so reputable on this ghoul episode. Um, the first sighting was in 632 A.D., and the last sighting that they have was in 2013. 2013. It's a pretty mm-hmm. long span. It is a huge span, okay. yeah. And then videos come up as well. It's difficult to, like, find... Okay, so here's the deal with trying to... Like, Tokyo Ghoul is ruining my life. Um, If you try to search ghoul sightings, what you will get is 90% Tokyo Ghoul fan fiction. Here's the problem. <laughs> because they're yeah. all called, like, a ghoul sighting in Times Square or, like, something. You know, like, it's that. That's what you get. I yeah. had to go through so much Tokyo Ghoul fan fiction. Alex, I'm so sorry. It's okay. I was going to say that happens, unfortunately. Unfortunately, with any cryptid that's entered the sort of popular, like the pop culture canon, because any vaguely humanoid cryptid, yeah, people want to smooch them, yeah, and people, and even if they don't want to smooch them, they want to write about them, want to write general. about smooching them, exactly, or just write about them in general from a completely 100% fictional standpoint, which kind of pollutes the lake, the lake of does. knowledge a little bit, but it's fine because I like knowing that there is video out there. I'm going to have to look up that video. Yeah, check it out. I don't want to like get into the habit of watching a bunch of videos on this podcast because oh, no, yeah, it's not an audio format that, right that does now. not benefit the fans, but there is a ton out there. So if you are willing to Google ghoul sightings and go through so much Tokyo ghoul fan fiction... You're going to have a good time. See a lot of ghoul OCs. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, so survival tips. Yes. Um, carry a mighty sword and then only use it once. Oh, absolutely. Not twice. Um, if you speak Arabic or have an English language copy, I'm assuming it would still work. Readings from the Quran will do the trick. Okay. Yep. Do we know that in translation it'll still work? I don't know. Okay. I'm just saying, like, if you can't speak Arabic, like, it's a nice shot, right? Like, you might as well try it. I'm going to learn Arabic, I guess. I guess, I guess you're going to learn Arabic. Those are, like, the two biggest ones, because those are the ones that, like, sort of consistently carry across all interpretations of the ghoul. Sunlight, yes, in some, but not all interpretations. Ah, heck. So be careful. Otherwise, you're going to have those ghouls just walking around in broad daylight. Mm -hmm. Gosh. Um, I guess don't follow strange hyenas. I mean, yeah. That's another survival tip. If it's a hyena, you know that's fine. Ooh, um, um, don't hang out in cemeteries. Don't hang out in cemeteries. Don't be there where you're not supposed Unless to Unless you're be. Buffy Summers and you're patrolling to keep us safe from the undead, I really need you to not hang out in cemeteries. Otherwise, you're just going to get in Buffy's way. Yeah, true. She doesn't need that. She has she has so much on her plate. Okay, anyway. Her life is just very complicated. It is very complicated. Uh, yeah, I know. She's got to deal with, like, two whole things, which is <laughs> high school and demons. Yeah, 
That's one more thing than the average high schooler. Exactly. <laughs> you think high school is hell? <laughs> oh, uh, I hate it. Actually, I think that was the original tagline. I'm for sure it, it was. It, was it sounds like hell. it probably was. Yeah. Anyway, that's not really the point. But and please don't come after me for if you're like a Buffy fan and I just offended you. Like just oh, just leave me alone. I am. She's not. You're not coming. For leave it me in alone. An offensive way. Uh, anyway, so those are the biggins. Um, I think also probably like. Well, you know, we we just told you not to hang around graveyards, but if you want to like maybe carry a spare corpse with you, um, they would like that more than eating you. I think. Alex, they that tend is to... not practical advice. <laughs> In most iterations of the ghoul lore, they prefer to eat things that have already passed. Um, or small children. So don't be a small child. The phrase is dead is weight my for other a reason. Bodies tip. are so heavy. Yeah, but you know what's heavier? Dealing with the PTSD of a ghoul attack. Well, if it's successful, save you're yourself dead. from that. Oh. If it's successful, you're dead. No, that's fair. Anyway. Um, also, don't be a small child. So if you are one, um, grow up fast. Get on that. It's a tough world out there, kid. Oh, my gosh. I'm very sorry. I know we do have some child listeners at this podcast. And um, just like secret between us, between you and if you're not small, stop listening. <laughs> secret between you and me, the ones still on the other end here, you're my favorites. Yeah. Also, other secret, growing up doesn't actually happen. You just get better at pretending you know what you're doing. Also, growing up is the worst, so just, like, don't do it. Like, like, here's the thing. If you grow up, you've got to deal with, like, taxes and student loans. What's a mortgage? And, yeah. like, relationships. Like, no, 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 no. If you're little, all you have to worry about is ghouls. So, like, that's definitely better. That's better. Trust me. And spelling. Uh, well, yeah, but, like, even that's kind of, you know, whatever nowadays. <laughs> you're right. Spell, spell check. check. It's fine. Yeah. Anyway, that was really fun. I liked it. All the adults can come back now. Yeah. Adult swim. No, I'm just kidding. It's everyone swim. Uh, uh, yeah. I had fun. I, I had a good time, too. I desperately need to go get a cough drop, but... I'm worried about you. Aside from that, it's fine. It's just the, the ghoul pathogens. I caught them from reading too much Tokyo ghoul fan fiction. Ah! Ah! For the listeners, I just grabbed Alex's arm as if to bite into it. But, like, not even in a sexy way. <laughs> no, just, like, in a, no, in a, in a chicken-like way. Yeah, it was a little weird. I'm a vegetarian. Anyway. So that's what we've got. That's ghouls for you. That's ghouls. And um, also, since this is our last episode before my very favorite holiday, I want to wish a very happy Halloween to everyone. And I want to wish a very Merry Christmas to everyone. Candle night starts on November 1st. <laughs> Candle night's already started for me, baby. I know this. I know this. <laughs> I am an adult woman. Whenever the magic kid. is real in your heart. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, seriously. Um, and if All Saints Day is your thing, then happy All Saints Day as well. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Happy to, like, all of your autumnal celebrations. And then also, uh, when the clock strikes midnight on October 31st into November 1st, you may begin to play Christmas music without Because I will wrath. be. Yeah. <laughs> because goodness knows I will be. You better believe that at 11.59 on October 31st, I will be standing underneath Addison Peacock's window with a boombox blaring Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. <laughs> But, like, not in, like, a cool breakfast club way where I'm trying to seduce her, just in a way where I'm proving a point. It's say anything. I was going to make a pun on it, and then I couldn't think of a good one. I guess I won't say anything. Well. Anyway, I, yeah, I hope you have a happy Halloween, and, um, as always, we hope we can keep you around. And while you are enjoying your Halloween festivities, please do try and stay safe out there. <laughs>